The following episode of the 9pm edict contains strong language, a tiny piece of music, philosophy, and some very bad ideas. Saturday, the 11th of March, 2023. Is a cow a thing? Is the ocean a thing? Well, let's ponder those and other questions with our special guest, Justin Warren, consultant, freedom of information tragic, hexagon enthusiast, and creator of the Cyber Rating Labeling Scheme. In this episode, we also talk about the magic of RoboDebt. The Australian government systematically stole money from hundreds of thousands of Australians and lied about it. We discussed the nation's surveillance laws. Australia needs to decide, do we want to be a liberal democracy and what does that look like? And we note some amazing things. I am surprised, and I guess it is a mark of just how advanced society is these days, how few billionaires are poisoned by their staff. We also uh, talk about the Eurovision voting system for some reason. Hello, I'm Still Gerian. This is the poorly governed semantic argument with Justin Warren. Justin Warren, thank you very much uh, for joining me in this luxurious hotel room. It is my pleasure. <laughs> what are we going to talk about? I don't know. I'm, surprise me. All right, let's talk about Australia's online safety regime. Oh, must we? we okay. Well, I think we, we need to. Um, what's happened in the news recently here is that... Uh, we're going to have a self-regulation regime, of course, because, you know, the government can't actually govern. Um, and the eSafety Commissioner has asked the big online platforms, Facebook, Twitter, etc., etc., to come back with a, a code, some sort of code which, will, which they will follow, which will make the internet safe for children. Mm. A series of codes, in fact, not just one, many, many codes. Many codes. Mm. Yeah, and uh, the eSafety Commissioner, Julian Mungrant has sent them all back, mm. saying they don't protect the children from things that children shouldn't see, like pornography. Mm. <sighs> has she got it right? Well, no, obviously. Um, and I was involved a little in this consultation process uh, with my chair of EFA hat on, uh, so I possibly do need to be somewhat aware of the real politics surrounding my comments on this. Um, well, I think we just need to put in the standard uh, disclaimer that this is, uh, you know, your personal opinion uh, that you're giving now, which may not be the, or the it, FA's it, opinion, maybe not the industry opinion. Uh, we are sitting here on a Friday afternoon as two blokes having, having opinions about this. Yes, so I speak purely in a personal capacity. Uh, and uh, look, the process was rushed and there was a lot wrong with how this process worked. And that is not purely my view. Uh, that is also the view of others, although mo most of those views are expressed behind closed doors. Uh, there were um, several attempts to influence eSafety to extend the consultation period and to generally run things through a different process. 
the process for doing industry codes, like there is one and there are multiple industry codes in other industries and there is a general process for how you run this, eSafety did not use that kind of process. It was very compressed because there were some hard deadlines, well, relatively hard. There were some aggressive deadlines set for we need to do this by this date, therefore we have to do it in this sort of order. And when you look at the logistics, you build your project plan and go, okay, that means that we need to have finished the first draft in three and a half seconds. That sort of thing. Yeah. It makes it hard to do a good quality job. Um, it's also challenging when you have very vague and fluffy directions on what it should be. And we see that in... Well, it needs to be safe for children. Uh, yes. But safe from whom? And safe how? Safe what does from safe pornography. mean? Yeah. So what does safe mean? Safe for who? Safe against what? So some of those questions weren't really answered. But And you can see that from the incoherence of some of the responses that eSafety has. So, uh, for example... Um, there are specific parts that we, were um, put into legislation to say for when you're doing surveillance of communications, you cannot put in a systemic uh, undermining of encryption. Ah, this is back to the uh, Toller Act. Thing. Yeah, telecommunications and other legislation amendment. amendment and various things. So there have been many attempts by various parties to undermine encryption because encryption makes it hard for them to, well, makes it harder for them to do their job without getting up out of their chair and going out into the real world. It's a lot easier if you can just put everyone's phone calls directly to your desk and listen to everything without leaving the comfort of your own office. Um, that's extremely convenient if you are the head of a, of a surveillance agency. It's not so good for a democratic uh, liberal society. Um, so we complained a lot about that and happily managed to say, look, we need encryption to be able to secure our bank transactions so that you know cyber criminals or foreign nation states can't just wander in and steal all of our cash, so we'd quite like to hang on to encryption, please. Uh, so it was made lawful that, okay, look, when you do some surveillance, you can't put in a systematic um, undermining of encryption for everyone all the time. We have to be more targeted than that, which is sort of a compromise position. I mean, they're great words. They're great words, I know. And eSafety has come in and said, oh, yeah, yeah, sure, but also you need to do that without doing it as well. So you really, it's just like, but, but hang on, what? So it has to be green, but not green. We've covered, just in those few sentences, an incredibly large number of complex issues relating to Australian law, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. And I will, as always, link to all the, all the things on the podcast website as we do. Uh... But that's part of the challenge is that these Australia, unfortunately, has spent far too long not really wrestling with the difficulties. So our legislative regime is a hodgepodge of patches and, and changes mm. that have been done piecemeal, ad hoc, on, you know, on the run, generally as a response to something, oh, quick, there's something in the news, we have to be seen to do something, this is something, clearly that has to be what we do. And now 25, 30 years has passed and we're left with this weird patchwork of legislation, which has come up before the Richardson Review said as much. We need to sit down and, you know what, if we need to do surveillance, fine, but let's do it in a coherent fashion and get all of our legislation updated for, for things where computers are a thing rather than just radio. 
like the Broadcasting Services Act, which is where it all came from? Yeah. Look, Things we need to mention there. One, the Richardson Review. Uh, Richardson was a former uh, director of intelligence in Australia. Um, he did a, a major review of all of the intelligence legislation in Australia. It's 600 pages. I know you Four volumes, it. yes. Yeah, it's, it's the most... It's good stuff. It is good stuff. It actually starts off by saying we should have a number of principles about what is and is not a legitimate thing for a, a modern nation state to do with its citizens. Now, I, I'm Bold looking idea. forward to the government doing that. I look forward to the. I mean, that, that is one thing that is somewhat fundamental and I don't think we've actually done really is Australia Ever. needs to decide, do we want to be a liberal democracy and what does that look like? Australia has um, been fond of the old surveillance and policing, uh, well, forever, kind of. Well, I won't say forever. You're going to bring up the Hope Review. No, I'm not going not to bring the up Hope the Hope Commission. Review. Come on. Um, I'm going to pause because I suddenly, as soon as you say Australia and forever, you kind of, well, apart from the first 65,000 years, uh, we're just talking about the last 240. 100, really. It wasn't Australia before then. That's true. 121? 121? 123. It's the year 2023, 1901, 122 years. You can edit this out. No, I'm going to leave that in. It it will illustrate how how much Australians know about their own history, even Mm. even to incredibly smart people. Um, So... We we will have this this look at all of our legislation, but yes, we've got this this piecemeal stuff. I'm I'm enjoying that there is a uh, a review, for example, has just come out on the uh, telecommunications data retention scheme, the Mm. metadata stuff, which Mm. was our bet noir for a period, and it's been decided that yes, we need to uh, we need apparently still to uh, have telcos keep track of all of our connections, our telecommunications connections, which is phone calls and which emails are sent to whom and when. Mm. And that is a thing that happens and, and the government can say, Giz them, gives them them, gives them them. Mm. And we want to see who you're talking to. Uh, it- but they have, uh, in, the, in the committee recommendation, they've said that this should not apply to Internet of Things devices. Oh, that bit, yeah. So that's we, fun. we now look forward to how in legislation we're going to define a thing. Yes, or not a thing. So we're, clearly we need a labelling scheme of some sort that we can go and uh, create a digital labelling scheme so that we can interrogate these devices and say, are you a thing? And if it says I am a thing, then you can't surveil me. Yeah. A thing bit of some sort. Yes. That is a reference to uh, a, 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 a probably an April 1st internet technology proposal which would make uh, cybersecurity so much easier if every um, every packet of data... Um, going over the internet had a bit which said, are you evil or not? Yes, the evil bit. The it's evil a, bit. It's and, quite a good RFC. And, and yeah, yeah, exactly. And if you don't want cybersecurity threats uh, on your network, you just filter out everything that has the evil bit set. would make life so much easier, yes. Um, just going back to the surveillance thing, they, uh, there was, I think it's Germany, I'll have to find exactly which courts it was. I think there were two, co- two cases uh, in Germany that were consolidated with a review and the, a German court, I forget what level it was, uh, forgive me, I'm not au fait with all of the intricacies of the German legal system. And it's a federal system, so you could uh, be so in it's all a little sorts bit messy. of problems. But they did find that 
it was un, it was unconstitutional uh, for them to essentially do mass surveillance. So you weren't mm. able to indiscriminately collect information on people with uh, even in uh, I think even to prevent crime uh, or to address crime in unless you essentially unless you are after a specific incidence of crime that you alleged had occurred you can't just spy on everyone on the off chance that you might be able to do something about a crime at some point in the future um, they felt that that was incompatible with the way that they run their society um, however over here in Australia we have decided that that is not the case and that sort of freedom is not one that we want to enjoy well, this raises the question of what is and is not mass surveillance. Very good. We we should definitely have more semantic arguments about uh, about surveillance and when you know why not? What is a thing? What is surveillance? What well, is the internet? Well, the American National Security Agency, the NSA, mm. argued that even um, with all of those uh, uh, those revelations in recent years about their uh, scooping up of, of all the data around the world, uh, the NSA is not allowed to surveil American citizens. Uh, that's, that's not its job. It's to surveil foreigners. But if you are scooping up all of the international telephone calls, how, how do you ensure that you're not scooping up Americans? Well, cl knowingly, knowingly is clearly going to be there. Their argument, if I can um, bastardise it, paraphrase it, uh, was that... Well, scooping up the data is not the surveillance. It only becomes surveillance if we then look in our database mm. for the data. Yes. A computer's doing it, which means it's totally fine. Yes. Yes. I, I look forward to being able to commit all of my crimes with a computer because that means that I, it's clearly not my fault. It was the computer doing it, Your Honour. Send the computer to jail. <laughs> uh, there is that uh, old IBM slide from the 1960s saying that uh, a computer can't be held responsible for its decisions, therefore a computer can't make management decisions. We seem to have set that aside. Well, we have. So, I mean, clearly we've decided that not only computers can't make decisions, neither can management. <laughs> Much easier. Okay, well, well, that is a, a, a completely wonderful rambling and disjointed uh, exploration of many issues that are um, on the table in, in front of us. To go back to the e-safety thing, there is, a, there is a school of thought, and I, I believe I hold this school of thought, which says that uh, the internet, like the world, is not inherently safe or not safe. For children mm. so what we do is we don't go around making the world childproof mm. we in fact have people called parents whose job it is to make sure that their their, their children don't get into trouble and and also we, we teach children how to survive in the world and and look here's an example walking out onto a busy highway is dangerous yes so we teach the highway code and look left, look right, look left again or whichever way it is, right. Well, yeah, well, we can get into an interesting discussion about why is jaywalking a thing because cars have right of way over pedestrians even though cars are more dangerous, which is an interesting way of, you know, when did that happen? Um, but certainly we, we don't child-proof everything in 
the world mm. and we are not for example we are not expected to put childproofing through door jams in your house because children might uh open a door and crush their fingers in the in the door mm. we there teach are a number children, of don't do that you silly thing and the first time they do it go well now you know that, right that's correct yeah, it's a good Terry Pratchett thing like that where he gives someone a sword and say, well, yes, but what if they cut themselves? And it's like, well, what is it? It's educational. It's like, but they might cut themselves. And it's like, yes, and that will be an important lesson. The- I mean, admittedly, you know, my parenting, you know, may not have been the most modern parenting in the world, mm. but there, there was a sense of, well, yes, you will soon learn what is dangerous in the world when you encounter it. Yeah, and it's... Like- and I don't mean just you know, chuck your kids on the highway and they get run over by a car and say, see, 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 so don't do that. But- Correct. And it, it does require, again, understanding what does safe mean? Safe from what? It's like we have an online safety act, but we don't have an offline safety act. And there was a lot of rhetoric to say, oh, it should be, you know, you should essentially adhere to the same laws online as you do offline. So, yeah, but you don't. The, the laws offline are quite different to the ones online. We have specific laws about whether you've committed a crime using a computer is somehow different to a, comp- a crime committed without a computer. Mm. You know, it's like murder on Tuesday laws. Um, Thursday. Well, Thursday. Well, well, Tuesday is a totally different day. We need to have a different law. Um, and my favourite example of that is the, the one-punch laws that we have in New South Wales, yes. where someone who commits an assault, and it was with one unwarned punch, yes. is uh, sentenced more harshly mm. than other kinds of assaults simply because there were a couple of completely unrelated events up in the nightclub district of King's Cross where, you know, young middle-class white men got punched and then fell on the ground and hit their head and, and died. Yeah, so if you're going to kill someone, make sure you stab them multiple times. Yeah, don't just punch them once, even though that is clearly a more efficient and professional approach. Yes. And now we call that a coward punch in in the hope that we will dissuade people from doing it, where it strikes me that if some, you know, if for some reason you really need to take someone out, then a single, obliterating, um, uh, you know, first strike mm. seems to me like a sensible strategy. I, I would question why we are training our young people to settle their differences through violence. That would be something we could possibly address. Um, but oh. we have to solve oh. ev- we have to solve everything with cops. Um, yeah. And punishment. That is clearly the only possible option that we have. Mm. I'm glad we're agreed on something. Fabulous, yes. Right. Moving on then. Um, why can't parents parent their own fucking children? Why do we have why do we have to have the government doing this and making everything cotton wool and padded? Well, we don't, but it's I mean, it is tricky because for, for, like for example I don't need to consider whether or not the bread that I buy from the local shop is um, adulterated with sawdust. I don't have to worry about whether or not my coffee has been poisoned because most of the time it isn't. However, there was a time where bread absolutely was adulterated with sawdust because it was mm-hmm. cheaper and we had to pass legislation to stop bakers adulterating their fucking bread with sawdust. We don't have that kind of product liability uh, legislation for a lot of the more modern online things. And interestingly, uh, the US White House released their national cybersecurity strategy on the 1st of May, 1st of March, uh, which I only just read, and it 
starts talking about the idea of bringing that in for essentially changing the market incentives so that those who make products should be held liable for if they are unsafe. And there is a long history of doing this in other circumstances where, and I think we've spoken about this before on the podcast around the Triangle Shirtwaist Fire and mm-hmm. the history of industrial accidents and safety, the Therac 25 incident as well, which is famous in software engineering. Um, Therac 25 was the uh, radiotherapy machine uh, to help people with cancers and the like. Yes, the and cancer, it had a except- software error that meant it overexposed people 10 times what the actual therapeutic dose was, and I think it killed six people over a period of uh, three or four years, and that was enough to require... Uh, to have a big inquiry into it and to change legislation and so on to make mm. sure that we didn't kill quite so many people. Um, weirdly enough, I think we've managed to kill more people th- with that with self-driving cars so far without changing how we do stuff. Yeah, but that's the future. Well, the bar is higher now, so I want. I, I will and be we all have to a not- right to drive a car, that's or true. in this case, not drive a car. I am looking forward to finding out exactly what the threshold is of how many people will need to die before we get the new, uh, the newly named Ford Pinto or triangle shirt waist or whatever the case study name will be. It's the clearly Ford a race. Pinto being a 1970s, 1970s states, which had the problem is if, if it suffered a collision from the rear where its petrol tank was, it had the annoying habit of exploding in a fireball and which was killing which was deemed to be sub satisfactory. Clearly, yes. There was some controversy after that about whether or not it truly was less safe than anything else on the market at the time. They just got to be the lucky scapegoat. So, This comes back to those things which are, uh, when things are relatively rare, then random things can just appear Mm. to cluster. We're having one in New South Wales at the moment uh, where there has been a surge of, of drownings in the ocean this year. Right, but you look at the number of people who drown in the ocean in New South Wales each year. It's not many. It's not many. There's, well, it's a lot higher than people who drown in deserts. So we should ban the ocean. Absolutely, and then drownings won't happen. We know. We know that when well, we ban things. Well, what about things, swimming pools? Well, they're just small oceans. Ah, what about bathtubs? Also, even small, smaller oceans. Smaller oceans. That's right, it's oceans all the way down. Yeah. Why didn't we think of this before? It's all about semantics. <laughs> Beautiful. Um, this is this is all fabulous stuff, and I, I think um, oh fuck it, let's take a break and do the housekeeping. I would like to remind you that the Public House Forum episode. The next one, the first one in years, will be on Saturday, the 1st of April, somewhere in the Sydney CBD or near Sydney Central Station. Uh, the pub I was planning to have it on has had to do some uh, urgent repairs, some ur- well, renovations, not repairs. Uh, the, the, lo- the local council building inspectors came round and looked at what they'd done with the upstairs area and went, yeah, that, that's fabulous, but you're going to have to put an elevator in there. Uh, and you're going to have to close it down until you get an elevator in there, which is all very disappointing. So I, I haven't locked down the venue yet, but in your diary, right down Saturday the 1st of April, in the afternoon, 
Guests already confirmed are Kathy Wilcox, uh, who is a cartoonist with the City Morning Herald, and the wonderful Mark Humphreys, friend of the pod. He's been on several times before. Uh, he will also be joining us this afternoon. And one more person. So that will be in the Sydney CBD somewhere. If you know of a pub that's quiet on a Saturday afternoon, because we you know, we don't want to compete with, with people watching sport or or whatever it might be, uh, and uh, has reasonably priced food and uh, has an area that might, I don't know, seat about 30 people, perhaps a bit more, that's kind of a bit separate from the rest of the pub, maybe a room upstairs, uh, maybe a, a back bar that's quiet on the weekends. Uh, do let me know. And if they've got a, like a PA already set up, that would be fabulous. Uh, it saves me doing a lot of uh, faffing about. So let me know if you've got a, a recommendation. And let me know if you're thinking of coming so I can get an idea of the numbers. I've set up an Eventbrite page so you can, uh, well, it's not really uh, book a place because it's just at a pub. You can just come. But so that I know the numbers, that's at the 9pmedict.com slash PHF7 for Public House Forum 7, okay? The 9pmedict.com, you know where that is, slash PHF7 for Public House Forum 7. Let me know, uh, and then I can uh, let the pub know how many people to expect. So that's Saturday, the 1st of April. Uh, and also, uh, look, before then, there will be another episode of this pod before then, at least one, uh, because I've practised uh, interviewing ChatGPT, the supposedly artificial intelligence-based uh, chat robot. It's very interesting to interview. So I'll put a, uh, an episode of that together in the next few weeks, and I think another one. Um, we'll see. Um, I haven't quite decided yet. As you know, uh, the podcast is made possible by you, the generous listener, and uh, I'd like to thank Sil Mobile, who uh, sent few sent through a few dollars uh, for when I was catching up with some of you in Melbourne the other day. Uh, just said buy a beer because he couldn't make it. He was at the same pub just like two hours before I got there, and then he went away. Still, he bought me a beer. That was nice. Thanks, Silvano or Silvo Silmobile or his handle on the thing. If you would like to be lovely, like Sil, buy me a beer. The 9pmedic.com slash tip. You can you can buy me more than a beer, obviously. You can buy me oh, a house. Not a car. I don't drive. Not a yacht. Waste of money. Um, yeah, house would be nice. Look at an apartment. That would just be fine too. The 9pmedic.com slash tip. This opacity, dear listener, is not the glass jar of transparency because we're recording this in the Melbourne hotel room and I don't travel with a glass jar, so I put the trigger words in in the chemist warehouse plastic bag of translucency or opaqueness, probably. Mm. It's not particularly translucent, but still can't see what he's pulling out. So that's I think right. That's, um, it's very noisy. I've it works noticed. for our purposes. Uh, yeah. But I'm going to come back to that. Uh, let me let me let me say the words. I have to say the words, uh, and the words are that uh, you, dear listener, you're a regular listener. You know that the glass jar of transparency contains folded up pieces of paper, and each piece of paper 
uh, uh, has a word written on it, uh, bought by a supporter of this podcast in the hope that it will trigger an interesting conversation, which is why we call them trigger words. Mm. And we draw them out at random, but um, one has been sent uh, in specifically for you, Justin. Oh, good. And this is from Dr. Trent Yarwood. Oh, of course it is. Because he was on the podcast last Look, fair's time. Fair's fair, I sent one to him. So yeah, yeah, okay. yeah. This seems to be a, a, a little ritual we have. And Dr. Trent writes, Ministerial responsibility or guillotine, or guillotine if you prefer, <laughs> because I know Justin loves talking about robo-debt and the choppy boys. Why not both? Uh, <laughs> ministerial responsibility is a fabulous idea, and I think we should have some. Yes. Uh, for those of you uh, who aren't in Australia, uh, RoboDebt was a scheme where the Department of Human Services and the Department of Services, Astra- Services Australia... It is, as it is now called, yes. Which are two different human services and social services. There are two departments. There were. They are now Services Australia, I believe. Yes, and one of one of the previous departments did the policy, and the other did the delivery yes. of the policy. DSS, Department of Social Security. Uh, sorry, Department of Social Services had policy responsibility and was the senior agency responsible, which was delegated through cabinet. And then the Department of Human Services was the essentially operational and implementation. Uh, department that was responsible for implementing policy and theoretically was not able to propose legislation to be taken to government. Um, I happen to know a lot about that because of an ongoing uh, freedom of information request which has recently turned six years old and I am currently waiting for that to be heard at the, I think, federal court. But So I won't say anything more about that on advice from my lawyers, uh, but I look forward to seeing what happens with that one. I, I have been tracking uh, this a little over the years, less so in recent times, but RoboDebt was this, this, well, that was the nickname for it, which the departments hated, but everyone is using it. It was accurate. It was accurate. The idea was that people who were receiving government benefits uh, might, might not have necessarily told the truth. There was this idea that there were millions and millions and millions of dollars that had been paid out to people uh, to which they were not entitled. And the idea was that, that, that we need to get some of that back. And uh, what we will do is we will get hold of their tax records mm. and say, well, look, if, if they have got certain income which are on, is on the tax records, and this doesn't line up with how much we were paying them in unemployment benefits or, or related, then we would send them a bill for the difference. Now, the problem is tax records... Uh, worked out on an annual basis, mm-hmm. and uh, Centrelink, the uh, uh, the Services Australia agency, uh, works all this out on a fortnightly basis, or every two yeah. weeks. And indeed, that is because the Social Securities, uh, sorry, Social Services Act, says that payments are uh, based on a fortnightly assessment of income. It's right. written down in legislation. There you go. So, uh, what would happen? Uh, and, and in many cases is that someone was on government benefits and every two weeks they say, I've got no income or I've only got four hours income or whatever it might be, and they're paid something from the government. And then later in the year, they might get a, a job, a full-time job, 
and and there it is. They're no longer entitled to government benefits, but they're still entitled to what they had up until that point yes. on the basis of this fortnightly calculation. Now, th- those of you who, who understand arithmetic uh, will be aware that suddenly averaging all this over an entire year based on only their tax records is is not correct. <laughs> well, trivially obvious, one would expect, yes. But hundreds and hundreds, indeed thousands of these debt notices... Hundreds of thousands. Hundreds of thousands, I, I stand corrected. Um, and they were then all handled, uh, handed over to a debt collection agency. Dun Bradstreet was one of them. Um, well, not all of them, but a, a certainly large percentage were sent to debt and, collectors, and, yes. And uh, people were... Uh, treated to the enjoyable experience of of dealing with a debt collection agency and all that that involves with letters and phone calls and messages and you owe this money. In many cases, tens of thousands of dollars. Uh, and uh, uh, at, in at least one case that is, has become quite famous, but many others, uh, people um, uh, committed suicide rather than deal with this process and others. Now, this is the subject at the moment of a royal commission, which is amusingly called the Royal Commission into Robo-Debt, mm. even though everyone hates the process. Um, we already know in evidence that uh, not only uh, was this whole process illegal, um, well, for was... no other reason, you just can't make up a thing and say, you owe me $5,000. I mean, Justin, you owe me $5,000 and I'm, you, you need to pay it. Yeah, good luck. Yeah, well, correct, try, right. Try your hardest, yeah. Yeah. But in, in this case, yes. Well, the government just says, well, we'll just stop paying you money. Um, and in fact, we, we won't actually, we don't have to send a debt collector to you. We'll just uh, tell the tax office to garnish your um, tax return and we'll just take your money. Or even in some cases, uh, if you now have an employer, you can take it out of their payroll. You can take it yeah, well, they, straight they just, out of your bank account. Which is theft. Yeah. And uh, in every case uh, where this eventually did go through the Administrative tribun- Appeals Tribunal and then to the federal court, uh, the government backed down and said, oh, no, 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 no. Oh, yeah. Well, the AAT, they backed down so that they wouldn't, they did it at AAT level one, which is in, which is private. They didn't want to go to AAT level two, which would become public and then people might find out about it. And that was, as the evidence is increasingly showing, a clearly deliberate strategy to avoid public scrutiny of this. But it did eventually reach the federal court and, the, or the, was it the federal court or the high court, um, who found that, yes, it was unlawful because the, there is a principle in administrative law which says that you must have a reasonable basis to make a decision that a debt is great. Like, you have to have evidence oh. that a debt is owing before you send someone an invoice. Look, in even, in even private I, practice, it's called a speculative invoicing and is ragingly illegal. Well, even I know that I, I have been a, a witness in a, a case in the what is now called the uh, Federal Circuit Court, was the magistrate's court, federal magistrate's court back in the day, uh, small claims this, that, yes, yeah, well, this person owes money, so well, prove it. Yeah, you can't just send someone an invoice and then, but, and, and in this case, they didn't just send someone an invoice and then demand payment. They went and, t- and then they, they took the stole money. the money. The Australian government systematically stole money from hundreds of thousands of Australians and lied over a billion about dollars. It. over a billion dollars in total. I think it was nearly two in the end, mm. and systematically lied about it. 
and multiple levels of government reaching all the way to, as it turns out, we heard in evidence just this week, all the way to cabinet. And, and the prime minister. And we, we have, yes, they knew, well, there was a, it was clearly illegal. It was covered up. And uh, one of the ministers at the time, Stuart Robert, has this week admitted to false statements in public. He has admitted to lie, knowingly lying about what was going on. Now, another way of interpreting that is he's throwing Prime Minister Scott Morrison under the bus. I'm quite happy. I, I'm sure I can find a big enough bus for everybody. Well, it's, it, 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 it is true, and I don't know that, that Stuart Robert is necessarily... A man who has just admitted in public that he fabricates and lies. Yes. So clearly we need to believe everything that he says from now on. It does put one in an interesting position. It's like, well, he lied in other circumstances. Why is he telling the truth now? Well, I suspect that he is looking ahead to when the Royal Commissioner releases her report and uh, cannot, cannot prosecute people herself, but she can certainly recommend Indeed. Uh, that people be prosecuted for various crimes. And the fun part is that we have now very clearly conflicting evidence from multiple witnesses, which means that, just logically speaking, not all of them can be telling the truth. Mm. There has been some speculation that this uh, will lead to a, a massive reform in the way public administration is done in Australia. I feel less positive about that. I would love to believe that is true. Uh, the older I get, the less I believe that such things are possible. Mm. Absent widespread mayhem and loss of life. Um, I, I mean, we did have some loss of life, but of course, the, you know, the argument will come back that, uh, well, well, you know, we, we weren't responsible for that if someone decides to kill themselves rather than uh, pay the money. <laughs> Yeah, that's that's well, down to them. But in all of these things, we, what we usually see—I mean, we've had what—we had a royal commission into the banks. We've had royal commissions into other things. Generally, what happens is that it's, oh yes, yes, that was terrible, but that all was that was in the past, and things are different now. We've made changes, and it's mm. it's not like that anymore. I mean, we had that through the whole process of Robodet. So I expect that we'll get more of the same. It requires too much systematic change. The purpose of a system is what it does, and the culture and systems of social security in Australia are such that I don't think it is possible to change it in its from what it is to something new without essentially burning it to the ground and starting again. Stable systems resist change. That's what stable means. You will not be able to change this system into something else without pushback, without resistance to that change. We're seeing it now. There was resistance to the Royal Commission being held at all. There will be resistance from those inside. The culture of that organisation will resist changing into something which does not view Social Security recipients as beneath contempt. It's a very Victorian-era idea of deserving and undeserving poor that runs through the place. And that kind of mindset doesn't get changed overnight. 
by the time this Royal Commission report comes out, which is later this year, it's only in a few months, I think it's got to be June or July. Assuming there's no extensions to hear further evidence or other witnesses, yes. it's. I mean, it's been incredibly quickly run. This whole thing was turned around, it, like it started in, what, November of last year. Mm. So it's all done and dusted inside six months. Which is amazing for like, the Royal Commission. I, my freedom of information request has taken six years and it is only just now reaching uh, past the... Um, AAT stage. Yeah, but you can't subpoena people. True. But, <laughs> you're not a royal commissioner. In terms can't. of difference of process, of like the royal commission into this will have been had taken all of its evidence and handed down a report faster than I was able to get even the tiniest skerrick of information out of the government about why do you think this is a good idea. I'm after the business case, for those who aren't aware. I'm just looking for, well, what was the business case to put in place RoboDebt in the first place? Um, show me. So by, by business case, you just mean that doing this thing will cost a certain amount of money and the amount of money we hope to recover from people who've defrauded the system will be another amount of money. And the and reasoning and assumptions about explain to me, you know, what is this thing? Why is it necessary? How's it going to work? What assumptions have you put in place to say that? And what are the risks if it, you know, you think that, oh, yeah, this might go wrong. How are we going to deal with that? All of those usual things that are put in place whenever you propose to do something in, you know, is, this is, is billions legal? of dollars. Come is on. it legal? That's another question. Well, that's just yeah. minor detail. I don't, I don't recall. I'm, I didn't turn my mind to the question. There's an awful lot of that. There, it, it is remarkable how little you need to be able to remember and um, still hold down and a senior to hold public service In fact, job. It, it does seem to be that um, an inability to remember things is a vital job requirement for senior leadership in many organisations. Yeah, I mean, I've, 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 I've met politicians who are up before the New South Wales Independent Commission Against Corruption where they, 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 they did say, you know, I don't recall, and I can't remember, quite like, like a number of times, mm. I'm thinking of former Senator Arthur Sinodinas here who... Mm. Um, and I, I found that very sad because I had met him uh, for, for a media engagement not all that long before that, and he remembered a great many things and told some interesting stories. And you know, we were live on radio to the UK for that's another whole story about mm. why that was happening. Um, and, and, and I found him an intelligent and an engaging conversationalist. Mm. You know, we disagreed on a number of things as you might expect, but but he was smart and, as I say, recalled a great many things of interest. Hmm. A, a cynical I, person might suggest that uh, there was a great deal of mendaciousness going on here. Well, he did He, he did more recently and is just finishing up as Australia's ambassador to, to Washington. Hmm. Um, and and I imagine that in that role he, he recalled a great many things as well. I imagine he would have forgotten a great many others should the uh, need arise. <laughs> Uh, thank you, Dr. Trent Yarwood, for that uh, excellent trigger word. We uh, we haven't we haven't spoken about the choppy boys though. Well, we haven't. I like to say that I am long guillotine futures uh, oh. because look, historically, if you don't sort out this mess of uh, power disparities, people tend to take it into their own hands. And when it gets to that stage, things spiral out of the control of anyone who thinks that they have control remarkably quickly. I would like to avoid that situation if at all possible. It is, it does, um, I, I am surprised, and I guess it is a mark of just how advanced society is these days, how few billionaires are poisoned by their staff. Compared to historical periods, 
we just don't get quite so many people dying, unless you're in Russia, of course, where you know falling out of windows is uh, windows. A, uh, th- th- this this hazard. architectural flaw throughout all of modern Russia. Yes, it is clearly something that they should possibly think about addressing. Uh, I wonder whether improvements in forensic chemistry have led to you know this this distinct lack of poisonings. Oh, I don't know. Attribution is often difficult. Yeah, it might have been easier back in the day where you could get all this stuff from your local apothecary. Well, as we heard from uh, Dr. Trent last time, you could just nick your finger on something and and die. So, you know, it it could have been anything. It's like it was clearly the salmon. Yeah. Let's get something from the bag. All right. That's really quite loud and obnoxious. Oh, this is from John Lawrence. You right. may know in Canberra from his various work for, indeed, Electronic Frontiers Australia indeed. at one point. Mm. Oh, one of your colleagues there. Crypto weapon. Crypto weapon. Mm. Okay. A bold thought. Um, well, you, you, could, you, could, you, could argue, you could argue that uh, Sam Bankman Freed. Was a crypto weapon. It's like a, <laughs> it's a weapon in a very Australian sense there. It's like, oh, get your head off with your weapon. Um, um, I, I do like how in his podcast, The Show, uh, mm. that uh, uh, Harry Shearer just keeps accidentally saying is, Sam Banks defraud. I mean, bank, Bankman, <laughs> Bankman Freed. <laughs> yes, how the that's mighty that, have fallen. Yes, yes, that's that cryptocurrency exchange, which was called oh, FTX. Don't BTX? care. I don't, One no, of those. I don't care either. Um, yeah, well, crypto means hidden. So, I mean, crypto means cryptography. So this cryptocurrency thing is, like, it's an interesting well, you're, you're, sideline. You're, you're still finding this, that crypto means cryptography. Well, crypto means hidden in Greek. Uh, but, um, yeah, cryptocurrency means hidden currency, and that's generally what it's for. It's for, you know, fraud and money laundering. It seems to be well, its major reason for existence. Well, there's, there's no, no reason why you'd use it for any other purpose because who takes it? Criminals. Well, exactly. It's not useful for any of the other things that an actual currency is used for. So, yeah, I mean, it's uh, Merkle trees are fascinating things. Um, but, uh, that you know, is the uh, type of data structure of which b- the blockchain or blockchain is is an example. Yes. Not especially new. Yeah, but setting, you know, entire forests of the Amazon on fire or the equivalent in coal in order to power the things to to run this system, which is an incredibly efficient and slow, inefficient and slow database, um, you can achieve the outcomes in of like 90%, well, 99% of the things that cryptocurrency claims to be for, you can achieve in other ways faster and cheaper. Um, the possible exception is ransomware payments and, <laughs> and money laundering. See, ransomware payments, or ransoms, used to have to be paid in, you know, a, a, a briefcase full of small unmarked you know, used currency. Mm. You know, Whereas now what we do is we make sure that you have a public record of exactly who paid for it, where it went, and can trace it through the blockchain, which is a public record, in, because that's the point of the whole thing, to follow exactly where the money goes. I think that's an excellent um, advancement if you're trying to, you know, as a hidden currency, putting everything out in public where everyone can see it possibly with, misunderstands the idea with, slightly. With unique identifiers attached too. Clearly, yes. So I, I think there's possibly a bit of a misunderstanding about the general point here, but then I could say that about the entire cryptocurrency industry. Say it about the entire fucking world when you stop and think well, about it. Well, that's true. It is a what? mass delusion. Are we really here? What is real? 
Is it an ocean? Is it a thing? Is it a thing? Is the ocean a thing? Ah, well, it needs a label. I can't tell otherwise. Ping it and see. Right. Don't make me wonder, can we give the ocean an IPv6 address and should it have just one? We could give every water molecule an IPv6 address. Well, clearly we must. Uh, if we can, if, if we, we can, can do we must. We must do it. Obviously. Wow. You could then trace individual water molecules through the ocean, through drinking water, through, I mean, rain to drinking water, to urine into the public swimming pool. Fabulous. And, I mean, we could put ads on all of it. That's clearly what we need to be doing. That's what the modern internet is for, after all. Yeah, absolutely. Mm. Showing ads to fish. Invest now. Thank you, John Lawrence. <laughs> I quite like that. Let's do another one. Okay. That was fun. <laughs> <sighs> right. Oh, this is from uh, Crispin Harris, who's over in Perth. Transition. Transition. Oh, okay. I mean, that could go anywhere, really. Well, it could. Um, I could pick out another one and link that to the transition. Well, we could transition from cryptocurrency to whatever the next thing is. Yeah, why not? Let's do uh, that. May not get I feel like we're cheating. Yeah, yeah, it's cheating a little bit. Um, Sorry, back, Chris. back in the day, um, used to pull these out three at a time. We did. And, ah. and then you'd have to link them all together. Uh, Peter McCrudden. Uh, hi, Peter. Thank you for your contribution. Has has provided the word transparency. Transition, we transparency, have... and well, we. I mean, we've just explained how transparent uh, the entire process of cryptocurrency is. But um, a transition to transparency, or from, transparency. or from transparency. Hmm. Or or the, the the process of transition needs to be transparent. Hmm. I mean, uh, transparency is a. Is an interesting idea. Tra what should be transparent and to whom? Because, uh, clear, I mean, I'm, I'm a big advocate for privacy, uh, which is sort of the opposite of transparency. And this is something which I don't think people, and we don't talk about enough, is power. So the idea of transparency, we want the powers over us. We want them to be transparent so that we can make sure that they're not using their powers against us. And, you know, are they money laundering or are they abusing their power to go and monster Australian public to the tune of billions of dollars by stealing their money. I mean, you mentioned money laundering there, or I just want it on the horses. Uh, potentially, yeah. Oh, yeah. So, and then we have transparency And then it's the none other of your way. business who my bookkeeper, book, uh, bookmaker was. Oh, well, but clearly it is, because we need to make sure that we, tra we track absolutely everything that your devices are doing, because either we want to show you ads, or the federal police wants to be able to potentially go and look at all of your metadata. Um, is a horse a thing? Uh, only if it has an IP address. Uh. Well, they have the. I, I mean, cattle. And, cattle and, cows and have, have IP right, addresses. It has to have the right bit on it, do they? Or they have QR codes. Um, they IP addresses. They have. Well, they have the NFC tag things, things. Tags in their ears. Uh, is an NFC tag an IP address? Mm. Oh, it's got a. Is a raven a, like a writing desk? It's got an ID desk. number, but is an ID number an IP address? So Probably not. Well, we need to have full transparency from paddock to plate, so that I know the name of the cow that I'm eating, which is very Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy. No, but it's a thing now. I don't. It literally is. It's, it's, uh, I, I oh, wrote well, about it some years ago. If it's a thing, then we have to surveil it. <laughs> we need full transparency <laughs> no, for no, all no. things. Th things are not surveilled. Actually, things are not surveilled. Oh, well, then a cow can't be surveilled. So, it, so we're going to 
uh, we're going to completely upend all of these supply chains so that you cannot see where your cow came from, where your steak came from, because the cow is a thing and we're not allowed to surveil them anymore. I will say that this this whole internet of cows is, is a thing. I wrote about it some year, probably 10 years ago now, um, that uh, some infected or diseased uh, beef turned up in Europe mm. and, and people got sick mm. and, and it had come from South America. I forget whether it was Brazil or Argentina, but it was one of the two. They're both big beef producing nations. Mm. I think it might have been... Uh, Brazil, because the structure of the industry in that part of the world is they don't have huge ranches. It's a lot of small um, cattle farms. Mm. Um, and so where did this come from? Where did the disease come from? They, they, they couldn't track it. So now, and IBM built this whole thing, all, all of the cows have their tags. And when they're sent off to the slaughterhouse, um, which meat comes from which cow and then through the butchers is all traced. Mm. So if you were there in, uh, say, Berlin and you, you, you buy a kilogram of steak for your meal, the, the barcode on the packaging is traceable all the way back to the individual farm in Brazil mm. where that came from. So that if a problem turns up, mm. it's only that one farm and its neighbours that needs uh, to be quarantined, mm. not as Europe did to this whole nation, the entire nation for a year or two. Mm. And Brazil or Argentina could not export any beef to anywhere in Europe, which obviously was uh, yeah, so with, costly. With incentives like that, clearly there is absolutely no fraud or um, mistyping or any mistakes made in any of this data at any point in that supply chain that um, could be manipulated in any shape or form. I mean, you can't cut the ear off a cow. No. It's, it's clearly impervious to, to change, and it is fully transparent on the entire supply chain, exactly what happened at all points. So, um, Especially if you record that on the blockchain. There's no possibility of, uh, of fraud. Mm, uh, fabulous. Problem solved. Yeah, yeah. Clearly we need to do that for humans as well, because if we want everyone to be safe online... Well, slaughter them and send them to Europe. Well, that's probably a good plan. Well, it, usually, be extremely usually it's the safe. other way around. They do the slaughtering in Europe as being the traditional approach. Uh, I would have said the Europeans are the ones who traditionally do the slaughtering elsewhere. I, I was thinking, you know... And then they yeah, steal their Nazis. resources. And, ah, well, they tend not to kill each other all that much. They prefer to invade other nations, kill them and take their resources. Uh, uh, if we're talking Europeans, they do like to fight each other a lot. Yeah, less so these days. Less so. Mostly it's in Eurovision. I, I was not aware of the capital punishment round in Eurovision. Oh, well, you haven't seen people voting against Russia this year. That'll be exciting. Uh, yeah, that's going to be very interesting indeed. The uh, The Australian entry is quite good. Uh, I mean, if they can have a stage performance, uh, this is um, Voyager with a song called Promises, uh, which is very energetic and has a lovely um, Kitar solo okay, in yes. it. Surprise Kitar, I think, is a, a feature of it. I, I particularly enjoy the lead guitarist who is extremely into it for the entire song. It wow. is very cool. If he can do that on stage, you know, that's obviously an important part of the performance aspect mm. of Eurovision. You you have to have that I believe the lead guitarist is a she, but I'm not sure. The Kitar oh. person, I believe, is a he. But uh, I... I'm confusing, yes, who was performing what. Mm. So the lead guitarist on an actual, like, stringed guitar, I think, is a she. But the key to Sorry, yes, I was is thinking of the lead singer. Ah, yes, right. Yes. Yes, I think, yeah, it'll be fun to see how yeah. they do. I don't hate that tune. Here's, 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 here's the chorus. Promise me it's going to be all right. 
Isn't that fabulous? Hmm. Very good. Um, see, Eurovision has transparency. Does it? What, what, well, no. some of the costumes, yes. No, but... no. <laughs> well, I'm, I'm thinking that it's all voting, but it's all phone this phone number now, isn't it, to register your vote? Oh, but anyone could phone that number, couldn't they? Well, no, because you can tell where a phone call's coming from. Can you? I bet I could write a program. I mean, I, I can write programs, make a PBX, make phone calls. You can't trace phone calls where they come from. I know. I get random phone calls all the time that my phone That's blocks. That's true. You can punch in any 10-digit yeah. number at the top or even letters. And there is clearly no incentive around national pride to have random votes just registered. And there are no nations who are capable of the sort of cyber security in, and, and cyber technologies that would be involved in faking millions of phone calls. Russia certainly is never... It would never do such a thing. I can't. They would. It would be beneath them. It would. <sighs> Maybe it should be write-in votes, but then you got to divide by the population of the country, don't you? Do you? Do they divide by population for the phone no, votes? No. 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 Yes. <laughs> Writing it, it would take a while. So Finland's in it with five million. Germany's there. What eighty million in Germany? Mm, I think so. Well, let's have a look. We'll have to look it up now. Population of Germany: eighty-three point two million. Hmm. There you go, eighty-three million. I was right. Right. Well-ish. So, right enough. So their song needs to be four times better than ours. Three and a half. Yeah, three and a half. Well, three. Twenty-six million in Australia. Right. Three times better than our song proportionally. No other way around. Australia's needs to be that much better than Germany's. Does it? To get the same number of votes. Mm, sure, but they well, have more well, people, so clearly they have a bigger talent pool to select from in order to find the best possible band. No, wait, wait, you wait, only wait, get to wait, put wait, up wait, one wait. band. No, 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 that's not how it works. No? You're not allowed to vote for your own country. Mm. You have to vote in your order of deux points down to... I was more thinking about how how do you pick to, which to band and which song so you have put to, forward. You have to pick the other countries. Yeah, but if you've got a really big country to pick from, the five best people who are you know five people who are best at band yeah. or best at Eurovision in tunes. Euro Eurovision tunes. Yeah, it's, you've it's got very specific. Well, it's not a specific genre, but it, it, it's a. Yeah. So well, if you've is. got more people, you should theoretically be able to find the five bestest ones. You've got a greater pool to select from. Yeah, but. Germans. Oh, but so this this requires us to have some sort of selective breeding program. See, this brings us back to this point, you know. Mm. Which will require tags. Um, so then we have to decide whether Eurovision contestants are things. We, we are literally two sentences away from putting those tags in tattoos on people's upper arms. Yeah, but then we can connect it to the internet and show them ads. It's win-win. I'm going to say this and edit it out. Okay, this is this is going down a very bad rabbit hole, and I would like to stop immediately. <laughs> yeah, let's. <laughs> uh, 
uh, Crispin Harris, there was a transition in there which is probably being edited out of the podcast. I'll send you the audio file later. <laughs> and you can you can be you can judge for yourself. Yes. Uh, look, we've been talking for an hour, and only a relatively small amount is going to be edited out to protect our reputations. Uh, what what should we watch out for in the next uh, few weeks till we see you again? What's what's something fun for people to think about? Something fun. Oof. It's going to be challenging. What's fun? There's a lot of fun. Like, I'm on Mastodon now. So I've sort of abandoned Twitter. Oh, we Twitter. haven't even talked about that. Yeah, so I've, I've basically abandoned Twitter because I've just, it bores me. Um, Mastodon is fun. What I've found interesting is that there's more of the vibe of the early internet where computers were exciting and interesting. And a lot of that comes from, I think, who the computers were in service to. Nowadays, a lot of the modern computing stuff is like a lot of, unfortunately, in the modern world, where it seems to be in the service of people who already have lots of power and money, um, trying to make everyone else's lives miserable. Whereas the early internet was kind of a rebellion to the old world, it was it was a new world of of change and difference, and uh, it was hidden in many ways. People didn't understand it. It was you know that novelty was was fun, but it was the you as an individual could do stuff with a computer and and you could make it do things. It was a sense of personal achievement and a connection to other people doing similarly fun stuff because you could. It was quite personally empowering, which is, I think, very different to what we have on most of the modern internet. Uh, Whereas Mastodon sort of recaptures a bit of that. It's a lot more personal because it's much more federated type thing. And Recently, I've been spending a lot of time just with my professional hat on doing a lot more work uh, looking at federated systems generally and what is available in a self-hosted infrastructure sense. So Mastodon is one of those things. Um, I run an instance, so you can self-host the infrastructure and connect it to things, which is what we used to do in the late 90s. There's oh, a with l- bulletin boards and then email. Yeah, or even even before um, the 80s, you know, we, we had bulletin boards and the, it was a a sense of community you had with your local bulletin board. And you would actually go and meet people from the board in person and have meetups and stuff, which, again, we used to do in sort of the early internet when you'd have a website. You had a common interest group and you'd kind of hang out. And, and it was, was, it was a bit of fun. Blog, and then we did the same with Twitter meetups. You know, you would meet people in, the early days, in yeah. Sydney because, yes, what do you have in common? And it's like, well, we're on Twitter. Yeah, and it's like that would be the like, and that's that's it. And that would that still exists. I mean, even Twitter, you had you had Black Twitter, you had Comedy Twitter, you had Ozpol Twitter, you had Sydney Twitter, you had. There's a couple of there's a whole bunch of sort of little communities of interest, and there's a lot of that around Mastodon, which tends to be like if you have an instance, there's a community of interest about that, but you also have slices across it between those instances where people who have an interest in say Moss or um, Moss, yeah. But, People post photos of moss. There is a thing on Mastodon called Thick Trunk Tuesday, which is people posting photos of trees with thick trunks. Thick trunks. Yes. Um, There's some other lovely hashtags, which is essentially how you find stuff. Um, One of my favourites is to do with, and you might have to edit this a bit because I've got to think about what it is. Um, uh, So there is a community of interest in people who enjoy uh, things like moss and lichen, and the hashtag for that is like and subscribe. I'm liking it a lot. It's it's rather excellent. So that idea of you can run this yourself. You can take a bit more ownership of, of what you're doing. Um, I've, I've been doing a lot of research into that, of like what is possible now and how, how easy is this to do. Uh, you can do a lot with 
a mod, you know, a semi-modern computer, like a just a desktop that you've got, some years old, the software that you can just download for free can do a lot of things that you used to have to go elsewhere and pay money for. And if you're spending $5 a throw or $10 a throw, you know, $10 a month for 17 different services, like that's a lot of money. Whereas you can download that and do it for free yourself. For a lot of that small personal computing, like back when it, you know, personal computing, when it used to be that, there's a lot of software that's really great for that. It doesn't have to be online. You don't have to share it with everyone else in the entire world. This idea of small computing of you can grab like a little personal Facebook thing that is just for you and your family to share photos. That's totally a thing you can do. You don't have to go and send all of your private information to a multinational corporation so that they can show you ads so that you can just do stuff with your family and friends. That's really interesting. And quite honestly, it's fun. That's what that's why I got into computers in the first place. Doing that sort of stuff was, was really, really fun. Um, and I think there's going to be a bit more of that idea. Again, just because people find it fun to do that by themselves, there will be more of that as a hobby and fun thing, as distinct from the big commercial stuff that you do for money. I think we'll see a bit more of a split like that. The same way we do now with people who have hobbies that, you know, we go and do knitting or you don't make it your job. You just do it because you enjoy it. Not everything has to be about the economy. There is so much to like about that little speech. Thank you so much, Justin. We're going to have to leave it there because we have to meet someone for drinks. All right. Thank you for your time. Always a pleasure. And as Dr. Trent says, wash your hands. That's all the edict for now. Put aside Saturday the 1st of April 2023 for the Public House Forum, number 7. Go to 9pmedict.com slash phf7 to tell me you're coming. Go to that slash tip to throw some money into the tip jar. I'm not sure when the next episode will be, that until then, I'm still Garyan. And yeah, as Dr. Trent says, wash your hands. The 9pm Edict is a Skank Media production. Sorry.